0: I guess let's do it. Yay, Paul. Yeah,
1: or hi, friends and heathens, and minus Jagazus. We don't have Jagazus today. Uh, welcome to the Unholy Trinity. We are here to talk about uh, Paul and how great Paul is and how much the Queen of Heathens loves Paul the Apostle in the New Testament. Isn't that right? Aren't you happy to be here?
0: So thrilled. No idea. For the record, I think I stated this in the last episode, um, I don't have a strong opinion on Paul, other than, like, why does everyone care so much what he has to say? But I'm interested to hear some perspective, never tire of talking well, ha- about Paul.
1: Well, boy, do I have a perspective, um, <laughs> if that hasn't happened by now. Um, as if you tuned in last week, you heard you gaze us with some outright ancient Near Eastern slander uh just talking about how you know paul's just terrible and we should cancel paul i think there's merch now so if you want to be wrong you can buy jagez's merch at um, on the merch store and go check that out um but i'm gonna have a fight with jagez about this because it just needs to happen um because well because if i'm gonna be honest i i know that it's if you go amongst the interwebs you'll find very quickly that paul is not exactly everyone's favorite person. Um, when it comes to talking about the Bible, everyone likes Jesus. People don't like Paul. Well, not everyone likes Jesus. But if you're going to pick one of the two, it's going to be Jesus and not Paul. I like Paul a lot. Paul was a big part of my education. Paul was a big part of my education seminary. Um, I took two years of um Koine Greek. My second year was exclusively translating Pauline letters. That's letters that either are by Paul or are thought to be by Paul or his followers.
0: So Paul tato. that's my
1: Paul Tato.
0: Yeah, that's all I have to offer at this moment.
1: I, I'm, I'm, I'm not here for it.
0: Put it on a shirt, you know. Yeah, um, exactly. Okay. That will be. Mine. So maybe we can start with a little bit of just kind of background. So can you tell okay. the people, Andrew, um, yeah. which books are actually thought to be authentically Pauline, and which books are thought to be pseudo Pauline?
1: So first off, first off um, it is believed that Paul wrote um, half of the New Testament, so like 13 books of the New Testament. Um, there are a few books that are widely believed to be written by Paul, and then there are a series of others that are not. Actually, I'm going to show you guys a book that I believe I have in here. Yep, it's right there it's a fantastic resource for understanding the new testament it is not written in any way to convince you of anything it is evolution of the word by marcus borg Uh, marcus borg is not exactly what you would call a christian writer he writes on christian things he in his own way considers himself a christian but you know who doesn't all the evangelicals that most of our listeners don't necessarily prefer none of them think that he's a christian they think he's a heretic um, but what I love about this book, and I don't know if you can see this, is it has a timeline on the cover of when each of these letters was written based on different Roman and oh. um, and Jewish historical events. And Very so it's a fantastic book. It's one of my favorite references for conversations like this. So the books that are in no contest, definitely by Paul, are 1 uh, Thessalonians, Galatians, 1 uh, Corinthians, well, all the letters that make up 1 Corinthians, There's a number of them. Um, Philemon or Philemon, Philippians, 2 Corinthians, and Romans. Those letters are definitely Paul. Um, There are two letters that are contested. Well, there's more than two letters that are contested. But uh, two of the letters that are most widely contested are um, the book of Colossians and the book of Ephesians. Those are very debatable. Um, Very similar Pauline language, really important theology, um, depending on who you're looking at they're going to say he did or did not write it. Reason being, it depends on when you date them. If you date them prior to the year 70, Paul died before the fall of the temple of Jerusalem. So he died around the same time. Peter did Paul and Peter died around year 70 between year 65 and year 70. Um, the, so these other books, all the other books that are attributed to Paul are either sayings that were kept by Paul that were assembled later, um, by his disciples. Or letters written based on teachings that he had said, or letters written based on teachings that people who taught Pauline theology would have said.
0: Did that make any sense? I, I think that- yes, it did. And I think also something I probably say more often than I should. I think we have a very odd, not odd, but a very modern idea of like plagiarism today. So like, yeah. it back then, if you learned under someone, if you were taught under someone, they were your teacher, your master, whatever, oftentimes when you wrote, you would sign it with their name um, as a sort of a sign of respect. It's like, I learned everything from my teacher. You, you'll see it with like right. Socrates and Aristotle and, and all of those people. Now, who knows? There's also just plagiarism that happened during this time, but... It may well have been that it was a student of Paul or a disciple of Paul or whatever you want to call it well, that just then attached his name to it.
1: Right. There's actually five scores that people look at when it comes to the New Testament when it comes or when it comes to ancient writings. Uh, it's either um, written by the hand of the person, written by a scribe, when but then the person dictating, written by someone who has assembled the letters and was a disciple or, or a student of. Written by a community who favored that person, or written by someone who wants to defame that person. Those are the five rankings that people tend to look at. So uh, we see most of those. Most of those exist with Paul in the New Testament, except for probably that last one. Everything that is New, New Testament canon, with the exception of maybe 2 Timothy. Is most certainly in those top categories they are either written by paul's direct hand like the letter of galatians paul actually says that it's like see i'm writing this with my own hand i'm not even going away from my from my scribe for you bitches. like I, I need to clear this up right now um most of the letters that i just talked about are the second category like first all the letters that make up first corinthians all the letters that make up second corinthians all the letters that uh, so like philemon and those other ones are all written by a scribe most likely um, Ephesians and Colossians are probably written by a follower of Paul. And then the other letters, uh, every one of the letters after that being um, um, 2 Thessalonians, uh, 1 Peter, 1 and 2 Timothy, uh, Titus, and Second Peter. All of those are probably written by people who either never met Paul and had heard about him, or had assembled writings and sayings that they put down in letters to other communities.
0: So never met Paul had heard of him. So the Gospels? (laughs) Um...
1: Yeah, so (laughs) very, so so yeah, um, the, (laughs) uh, the clearest difference between um, a primary source, and a secondary or tertiary source in ancient times, is to look at the difference between the Greek of, say 1 Thessalonians and say um 2nd Thessalonians. The difference between the Greek in those two letters is the difference between written by someone who claims to be the writer and written by someone who claims to be the writer and it wasn't them.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: the Gospels are closer to Second Thessalonians in authenticity than they are 1 Thessalonians. Interesting.
0: By good measure okay so let's maybe hop into the sort of what's going on in the background of Paul more or less. Right. So like what's leading up to his right. writings, what's happening around his writings. We should probably begin at least with the books that we know are Pauline. Um, and then if we want to talk about the pseudo Pauline epistles or letters or whatever you want to call them, then we can do that as well. But I think it might be clearest to sort of delineate there since we're talking specifically about Paul. Um, Does that make
1: sense? Yeah, Yeah, it does. Um, And and I I think if I were to make like two categories instead of the three that I gave earlier, I would put Ephesians and Colossians in that first category because the teachings are so similar to what we see from Paul in other spaces. The Greek is different, but the teachings are very similar, um, depending on who you talk to so like and ephesians and colossians have become such fundamental letters when it comes to well more ephesians than colossians but ephesians has become kind of an example of how we treat paul as a primitive voice when he was actually a progressive one interesting so i
0: guess we should start maybe with some of the dating so as far as i know um the letters of paul we See, they're starting to be written around 50 CE, right? So about 20 years before the destruction of the temple. Um, I'm sure there's a wide range there, but that's sort of when they start. I think it's interesting. It's always interesting to me to tell people that the letters that we have from Paul are actually the earliest writings that we have in the new Testament. Uh, it's just that because we put them in a different order, it's all jumbled in our brain that we think it happened in this very linear way. Um, so, sorry, go ahead.
1: No, it's good. So what's really interesting is like, depending on how conservative or liberal you want to be about it, we have seven teachings from Paul and from the churches that are assumed to be Paul's churches, seven of them before we have the first gospel. Hmm. Um, so, and what's really interesting is that these communities that are reading the gospels are Pauline communities. They're communities that have been developed on Paul's teachings. And so everyone who was writing the Gospels came from a Pauline community. And everyone that was reading the Gospels was in a Pauline community. So in a weird way, the underpinning for everything we know about Jesus comes from Paul instead of the other way around that's pretty so so if we were to talk about it the the earliest letters are first thessalonians and galatians those are the two some would say first corinthians is the first that's not a popular view amongst scholars it's usually first thessalonians or galatians is the is the first letter for a couple reasons do
0: you want to talk about those
1: yeah sure so uh, um so so for first thessalonians we see some documentation that's pretty early in circulation um, it mm-hmm. is also, um, we see the fewest events mentioned that have to do outside of the life of that church's theology in first Thessalonians, Galatians has some more developed church drama. That isn't the only reason, but that's a big reason that Galatians is later, later than first Thessalonians. But the reason that first, uh, first Corinthians gets third place is is because first Corinthians is not one letter. It's at least two, if not three letters that have been mashed together and then were circulated. Um, there's a couple of reasons. Paul is actually very good at staying on one plot point. If you read the entire letter, he's really good at it. Um, So when you read first Thessalonians, if you read the entire thing in one sitting, you get one message. And a lot of it has to do with based on the end times, how do we handle death? That's what's the main thing happening there. Galatians one problem. If anyone is telling you that you need to be circumcised before you're baptized, they should castrate themselves. Yeah, that's it. That's in the book. We skip over that part. That's some def jam comedy shit. Like he goes hard in that letter. First um, Corinthians is not as clean as those first two. It's a messy, messy letter. Um, it's not it has at least a couple clean cuts. because the dick joke yeah that's good Um, i mean
0: you i had to make it
1: (laughs) like no it was great i'm happy we're here for it so uh first corinthians it's a messier letter there's at least a couple plot points in it it's most likely that this is a couple letters and if it's a couple letters they were assembled after the fact and then circulated so odds are they didn't assemble a couple letters and circulate them prior to the writing of first Corinthians or first Thessalonians and prior to the writing of Galatians. Uh, there are, there was better reasons than that, but those were a couple like that don't require me to go into too much context as to why that ordering of first Thessalonians, then Galatians, then first Corinthians, all before year 60, uh, between year 50 and year 60.
0: So as just like a fun fact, because I like the Romans. It's interesting that, to know that during this time, between 41 and 54, um, Claudius was the emperor. And so the empire was actually going through a big period of expansion. Um, mm-hmm. But then after that, in like 64, I believe. No, not 64. I'm sorry. Let me double check my, not 64, um, 54, the Nero comes into power. We all know mm, our yeah. best buddy Nero. So, like what you know, he's, that's also 64 is when the Great Fire of Rome happened. So, um, there's a lot going on during this time period. And for those that don't know, Nero actually blamed the Christians for the Great Fire of Rome, even though a lot of people think that he intentionally set it in order to clear space for his sort of lavish building projects. Um, mm, yeah. So that's sort of the background that Paul is writing against, and I don't know how much we see that reflected in his writing. Um, but definitely if if y'all have followed me at all talking about revelation, Christians later would think that, uh, 666 or 616 was in reference to Caesar Nero. Um, and then that was because he had a myth surrounding him that he was going to come back from the dead effectively because they thought he was so awful as an emperor. They saw him as the Antichrist. Um anywho, well, that's kind of
1: a tangent. <laughs> no no no, that's good. So so like this expansion is actually the bedrock of the first church drama, and we have that recorded in the epistles of Paul and the Book of Acts. So one of the ways that we know that Paul is a progressive voice is because we know what kind of like drama he was up to in the first century. And he had mm-hmm. some beef, some ideological issues. With two other people, um, Peter and James, uh, and this is where our our education on intersectionality today could actually really help us better examine the Bible. And if I were to use language, I suppose what I'd like to say is, um, let's get our criticisms correctly. We by looking at the kind of education we have today around certain issues, we can get our criticisms right about what is wrong with Paul. And there is plenty wrong with Paul. There's plenty wrong with Jesus. But if we're going to get our criticisms about these people in these in these writings correct, we need to examine them carefully. Um, Paul, Peter, and James are great examples of people that are progressive in certain issues during their time and conservative in others. Um, and this expansion of Rome was also uh, not exclusively a trigger, but happened alongside the expansion of the Christian Church. This is before Rome and the Christian Church have united, they're still very much enemies at this point in time. Um, but we see Paul, even in his greetings, making note of the Greek and Jewish contexts around him, or the Israelite context, I should say, because the word Jew was not universal yet for all uh, followers of Adonai. So uh, he says grace and peace at the beginning of all his letters, chorus, which sounds very much like hello is a classic greek greeting to say chorus um shalom is also a greeting in this time for jews so he is saying at the beginning of each of his letters grace and peace he is saying um, hello to the greeks hello to the jews in every single one of his letters he's acknowledging a mixed audience
0: yeah, maybe we can talk about that for a quick second. Um, I don't remember exactly do when it. it was brought up. It might have been off camera at some point. But I think there's, you mentioned a really interesting thing, where in some of his letters, or all of them perhaps, um, Paul is very much doing, I don't want to say, that's not speak, but he's talking to both groups, right? So like, yeah. or maybe yeah. if he's sending different letters, he's saying like, well, I know most of the believers here are Gentiles, and most of the believers here are Israelites. So he's giving them like different instructions based on, whether or not they're torah observant um am i remembering correctly
1: okay you are yeah yeah absolutely um so there are certain letters um and this goes beyond paul when we look at like the letter to the hebrews that is a very jewish convert to christian audience almost exclusively All the imagery is tied to the Judean language, the Israelite language or the Israelite um, vernacular of how they process their spiritual lives. Um, The clearest example out of all Paul's letters, where he's speaking to two groups and switches it in mid letter, some not mid sentence, but mid letter um, is Romans, because there are moments where he says absolutely contradictory things in the book of Romans. And that's because we should picture him um standing on a stage performing well not him in this case it would have been um it it would have been um phoebe who is standing up there um it it is phoebe isn't it yes phoebe i think so um my girl like we so the roman letter was most likely delivered by a woman is the most complicated rhetorical letter because and um and by delivered, I mean, orally delivered and physically delivered. That's what's happening in this letter. And, and just in case I'm wrong, and it's actually junior, I'm going to say junior delivered letter right here. Junior delivered letter. We think about these letters as written things, we should be thinking about all these letters as um, theater. Because during this time, somewhere between four and four to 6% of the Roman world was literate. Almost nobody could read and write. The few people that could read and write are elites. Um, Most of those elites are men. Most of those elite men are not Christians or in these Christian circles to receive these letters. So um, what that means is that the best way to be educated is through public discourse, through debate, through speech, through compelling performance. And so um, all of these letters that we think about Paul and we sit in our rooms and we read them privately, they were never meant to be consumed that way. They were written with the intent that no one would ever put their eyes directly on the letter except for the person speaking in front of the audience that's how they were written Um, and so when we see this we should see a person standing in front of an audience addressing a mixed group in a controversial way many times like when when paul says to that whoever thinks they should cut off a little should cut off their whole selves Saying if you want to be circumcised, just castrate yourself. Wouldn't that make you more holy? There are probably men in the room that are advocating for circumcision that are hearing him say that. Uh, when Paul is speaking ill of the traditions of Jews, but using Jewish language, using um, vernacular of the Second Temple Jewish religion of the time, it is most likely in a room to them. And then he is switching. By to to talk about how the law should still not be erased because he is advocating for Gentiles to understand that he's not advocating for their supremacy either. He's advocating for a mixed religion between the Gentiles and the Israelites and Judean people, which is the conflict of the first century church.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Okay. So maybe let's get into what do you think is the most common sort of miscriticism of Paul? That's not a word, but I made it up.
1: Yeah, Yeah. Um, I think the biggest criticism of Paul, um, well, that he was homophobic. I think that'd probably be the, the, the loudest one. And after that, it'd be, it'd probably be a tie between him either being homophobic or him being misogynistic. Paul is usually like characterized as either being one or the other. What do you think?
0: So I struggle with the idea of homophobia in the first century, or, uh, the same way that I would struggle with the idea of heterophobia in the first century. Tell us why. There wasn't a concept of those things. I know I've said this before, but I feel like it just gets missed so often actually reading a textbook or a, I think it's a textbook and it's called, um, Roman homosexuality and the entire intro is the author saying that it's a stupid play on words because nobody would have had any idea what homosexuality was. So he could have named the book Roman heterosexuality and nobody still would have had any idea what the, the book was about because the way that the Romans viewed sex was this very different thing. Um, And again, I know we've talked about this before, but Romans were incredibly concerned, Roman men, with being the penetrator in the sex act. They were incredibly concerned with their dicks, which, like, not a lot has changed, TBH. But they were incredibly concerned with this power position, effectively, because being powerful was what was most important, right? Um, And you can see this in, like, Roman... um, uh graffiti and like all of these things where they are literally romanticizing being the penetrating partner with a younger sort of more prepubescent type male now the other thing some of it is wild but anyway the other thing is that like it it wasn't it just wasn't a matter of whether or not was a male or female right like this just didn't it just didn't matter to them Um, you married a woman because you had to procreate with that woman. And because the woman really had no other outlet or avenue, not outlet, had no other avenue to survival. And and then once this boy sort of went past the prepubescent age and started maturing, then this this sort of body type was not as idealized. They idealized the sort of youthful, hairless, you know, life-
1: Well, may I jump in there? Yes, yeah. Also, I I think, and I'm not going to make an argument that it is in any way worse for men, flat out. It's worse for women. It's worse for women, flat out. But for young men in this time, and really through any patriarchal structure, they also become fuel for the patriarchal lineage. Um, So another reason is, like, if he's a viable candidate for passing on... The lineage of the patriarchal power in place, then using him for sex is not as important as using him for lineage, and and right. that is also an ugly utilitarian nature of the patriarchal structure that that we right. that we frankly America learned it from Rome, um and we have that episode somewhere so go listen to we our sure other do stuff.
0: yeah. I mean but you even see i mean like this is of course kind of a an intense example but like nero fell in love with a male slave made him his Spores. spouse yeah right Sporus, and then forced him to be become a eunuch you know for to put it nicely that would mean, um, that was
1: so weird like if i like now that i've had you no one can like what that that
0: yeah it's i mean it's not surprising but it is weird i also read somewhere that the that the the man had resembled the wife that he beat to death um or the not the, i guess not the man but the boy man child whatever um
1: oh yeah he was still he was still a child when when he noticed him in the fields
0: right so again i don't know if that's more like lore or if there's any actual like factual basis for that but it is really interesting that like yeah i'm trying to think of how to phrase it like i think there's always this potential that like was he really condemning this idea that didn't exist of homosexuality or was paul really saying like hey um if you can't control your sexual urges at least get married (laughs) uh and then you can do like do it with your wife also that like maybe he had an issue with the fact that like okay you're sleeping with like really young kids. Right? Now I don't know that for sure because like I know in that time period we have a very different idea of kids, but I can imagine mm-hmm. maybe Paul feeling some kind of this is I'm just riffing, but feeling Well, no, you're, you're actually tying into
1: about... a Go ahead. You're you're tying into a really interesting thing um because so one of the well oh, how can I say this well. So Paul, as a figure in the first century going in uh, and, you know, his writings being really prominent in the second century as well, um, before they're canonized going into the third and fourth, he is a figure that is a proponent of a more progressive religion, progressive being one that transcends Israelites and Judean people and one that invites in other cultures. One of the ways he invites in other cultures effectively is by providing space for his teachings to give rights to slaves and women. And by the third century, early third century, late second century, early third century, Christianity is not just being referred to as the way, but also as the religion of women and children. So what's really fascinating about this, like, cultural phenomena that Paul is pioneering is it is one that is being coined by the names of the people that have the least rights. That's a But not them fascinating... slaves. But, uh, so, okay, well, let's talk about that, right? Like, so we have Sorry. this... Right. No, it's fine. This, I've had, a, I've had like... a
0: couple of weeks with slavery apologists, and I'm like, fuck all this noise. But... Oh,
1: uh, no, no, yes. no. It's slavery bad
0: we, bad. when Owing there people, is slavery
1: just bad. say no
0: right like i know we did a whole episode that was called quit defending slavery but like for real you fucking heathens quit defending it like yeah if <laughs> anyway, anyone offers sorry. you
1: to smoke one slavery just say no kids because knowledge <laughs> don't is do power a slavery <laughs> don't do a slavery and not even once
0: the mitochondria is the brain. powerhouse of the cell okay
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! The, I'm i I'm, I'm so glad all of this just happened. Okay. 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 So there's this little letter, um, and it is very little. If y'all want to read it, and it is probably Paul at his like most messy bottom sassy bullshit. Um, Paul if you read paul as like the sassiest queen you can get the context of where he's going half the time like because he's just got that going on like the way he hints in directions with his rhetoric make him sassy make him sarcastic he's easier to understand just pro tip do that um we have this letter um that depending on which part of the country you come from it's either philemon or philemon And, uh, in this letter, there is this, uh, guy named Onesimus. He is a slave in this letter. If you read it, Paul is equating his worth as an individual to the worth of the slave that he is sending back. Um, Mm -hmm. and he is equating the worth of the, and, and then he says to the slave master, now, surely you do not consider yourself above me, though you can, as I am your servant, And just to make sure that you are taking care of your servant, I'm going to visit you in the near future. Now, the the context that we find later is when we get to like, when we get into the, the letters to Timothy, the pastor that is being put in place over Ephesus is Onesimus, this slave. Now, many scholars believe that this Onesimus is mentioned because it is made clear that Philemon made true on his promise and freed the slave. That it was like coded language, right. or that led to the freeing of the slave. That not only led to his freedom, but also led to him being the pastor of the most prominent church with the most prominent scribes, Ephesus. So that's that's an interesting thing. Like, so I, I'm not saying. Now, to be clear, Paul never directly advocates for the for abolition of slavery. Don't give him that pass. He never advocates for any subtle abolition or freedom of any slave that is not a Christian. He never says that. And for those that are still slaves, he says, obey your masters. So he doesn't deserve a full pass. But there is a weird thing happening here in a Roman world that has its entire economic structure built on slavery. And actually, we do till today. We just, the 13th Amendment allows us to arrest people and make them slaves, America. So let's not pretend we're above it all. But that's a fascinating little thing that's happening in this short rhetorical letter to this slave master that's one of the letters that we know for sure came from paul i talked for a while but that just makes me really excited because it's just so freaking weird
0: yeah well and i think so like stuff like this and and being able to say like okay paul never did x y or z so we're not going to pretend he was some like you know revolutionary abolitionist but also saying that like there's there's something going on here we don't know exactly what it is but like it's an interesting thing to explore. And this is something I've touched on recently, is that like, I feel now as an evangelical agnostic that I am able to love the Bible so much more than I ever did as an evangelical Christian, because I'm able to look at it and see what it says, as opposed to what I'm told it's being said. And it doesn't have to fit one very neat, tidy narrative or timeline or whatever. It can be messy and weird and it cannot make sense. And I can have to wrestle with some things and be like, that seems really fucking weird. Um, but like part of that is what makes it so interesting because we're getting these like dispatches from the ancient world and trying to sort of put it all together and understand it in a way that just understand it. Anyway, there's no real point there. I just think it's interesting because I, I get people sometimes that are like, you just hate God and hate the Bible. And I'm like, no, funnily enough, I actually like the Bible way more now than I ever did because before it was fucking boring. Um, and it was like, why do I need to read it when you've already told me exactly what it says? There's can't be any deviation at all. So, like, I guess I'll just keep reading this same shit over and over. Um but now that, it's that just is so much more interesting.
1: That, well, it is more interesting, and that's a funny thing that evangelicals do. They tell you what the Bible says, and then tell you to read your Bible. It's like, do you want me to trust you on what you said it says, or not? Like that was your right. fundamental argument here, homie. What do you want me to do? I'll, when when I realized that the vast majority of Christians were going to decide that I'm a heretic, bound for hell, and I released myself from those communities.
0: Yeah. See, you I allowed there.
1: myself to read the Bible from a gray space. And that made things so much better. The the closest thing to a ceaseless prayer in my life now is what do I do with that? Like, what do I do with this information? Like, what do I do with these wrestling points of this text and that text? And like, so what? How does this all fit together? Why was this important to these people? And why does it have such an impact on my world? That is the closest thing to a ceaseless prayer that's part of my life currently. So, yeah. It, it's a fascinating set of stuff. So, want to get into some, uh, some uh, nasty first century
0: drama? Do I ever.
1: <laughs> I, that was convincing. Thank you. Um, so, the, so we get this glimpse of this weird shit happening at this church called Antioch. Antioch is a really important church. A lot of first events take place in Antioch and they're all recorded in this canon that we call the new Testament. Um, What we find there is a couple of things. Number one, it is where Barnabas took Paul after finding him in his mom's basement. Oh, you don't know about this. This is a whole ass thing. Paul royally failed. Good. Okay.
0: No, I was gonna Paul. say, like, I know about Barnabas, I know about Paul. I'm missing the basement context.
1: Right. Okay, so um Was Barnabas Paul... the first incel? <laughs> Paul failed his first efforts to be a missionary so bad he fled and went back home to Tarsus. Now home as an unmarried man would have been wherever his mom lived. Right literally went back to his mom's house and stay there yeah because because he fucked up his missionary work so bad that's what Paul did um this is this is like a random fact but it's true like like uh we there's this text that says um Paul left and after his leaving the town experienced their first moment of peace like it, it's 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 in the Bible it's such shade like it, it's it's so funny so barnabas had to go to tarsus to find paul like he finally that him.
0: fucking fool shut up now we can all get back that's to the, our life <laughs> like
1: that's the exact context i'm not making <laughs> that up at all that's exactly what happened like that's that's the drama that's happening in the bible i think it's hilarious because we treat paul like this kind of like hero figure or this kind of villain figure we never treat him as just royally incompetent and he yeah. was at the beginning of his ministry
0: and also, I feel like we often treat him as this stoic, who sort of always has this confidence and is very sort of even keeled and is, you know, goes on his mission and does whatever. So I think it's interesting to think about him just being like a bumbling idiot. Um, Isn't that nice? Love it.
1: <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so, continue. <laughs> but yeah, that, that was like a whole thing. Um, so Paul um he failed he went back to tarsus barnabas who is um, a leader of the church at the time we get a hint of him at the beginning of acts he gives a lot of property away um or he sells a lot of property takes those funds gives it to the church and is one of the earliest beneficiaries of the early church um and he's noted in acts as being so so barnabas goes finds paul brings him to antioch to learn how to do ministry in Antioch, that's where we get the first tension between the Gentiles and the Jews. Paul is convinced that we need to expand space for the Gentiles to have room. So Gentiles being people that are not Jews, not considered the chosen people. This is a fascinating doctrine that I think we should all be a little more educated on. That um, there, there's this notion that these Jews who are the chosen people of God, the chosen people of Adonai are um, that the that in some way Christ is a part of that and an extension of what God is doing. Paul says, yes, and that is extended universally. That is extended also to non-Jewish people. The entire Ephesian letter is a treatise to suggest that even those that are not, are not considered Jewish people are just as destined to be with God as Jews are. So if anything, it's a letter of universalism and not a letter of Calvinism
0: that's what i was gonna say i was like sounds very universalist to me but hey what do colossians i know?
1: and ephesians are some of you know quite a bit and and <laughs> i'm and i'm okay too um my, my 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 first class of my second year of greek was translating ephesians and colossians from from the la- original language and with a with a team of people fucking awesome class and what i learned is that colossians and ephesians is the loudest treatise for universalism that exists in the Bible. It is absurd. And it is centered around cultural inclusion of non Jewish people into the kingdom of God. When you think about Paul from that lens, he doesn't seem like this woman hating stocky slave condoning. Yeah, Yeah, he seems different, especially when you think about James, who is often considered the social justice person of the New Testament because of the letter of James, the first like the letter of james is so good for social justice work today but he yeah. was a fairly conservative torah observant christian who yeah. believed that we needed to be practitioners of the torah but a lot of the social justice narratives we get from the bible come from the torah
0: okay uh, i and... just have to do a quick like aside i was on Twitter. sorry i'm getting i'm does. getting
1: long-winded please no go
0: this is just, like, a funny aside. So I was on Twitter minding Bigot's business, like I do, um, and I ran across this guy's tweet that was, like, what the gospel is. And it was, like, Jesus crucified and resurrected. Like, that was it. And then he was, like, what the gospel isn't. Feeding the poor. Doing justice. Taking care of, like, the needy. Like, like racial equality. And I this was, like,
1: motherfucker.
0: have you read <laughs> Uh like dog, I come across the craziest people on Twitter, I'm not even gonna lie. Um and it's always these like reformed dudes. They're like reformed whatever and and I've I am convinced, I am convinced that reformed is code for I was a hall monitor in high school. Like that's <laughs> that's all I can think like like this kind of person that would tell me like I benched two seventy five when I was in college. Okay,
1: like I I have come to the conclusion. I'm with you. I think that reformed bros go the spiciest thing about my life besides my mayonnaise is my title in Christianity. I go to reformed conferences.
0: Thank God, pastor, father, husband, <gasps> um, and then they I, block me after one tweet.
1: I can't remember the last time I encountered a reformed person that wasn't completely illiterate when it came to the Bible, but, and, and I mean that with all the greatest sincerity because they'll treat every different type of literature like the exact same fucking thing, and at, and when they do it, they destroy these cultures. They they are recolonizing these ancient worlds with this like whitewashed, air-conditioned armchair bullshit, and I'm so fucking yeah. tired. Deuteronomy. Do you want to hear something
0: funny? Oh, sorry go
1: ahead yes and then i'm gonna talk about deuteronomy because i'm yes. excited about it so
0: one of these fucking dude bros uh deuteronomy am i right no um but one of these guys
1: Deuteronomy, <laughs> go home
0: um, bye <laughs> so anyway so like he he said something to me and i like lit his ass up i was like listen walmart paul bunyan I'm not sure if you can fucking like read what I'm saying, but if you can, if you can read chapter books, you should check out academic sources. So then you might like learn something. Um, And I went on to tell him that his barber hates him. uh, He needs a new haircut. And oh, I think that uh, he called me a chick. So I was like, maybe this chick is going to pay a visit to your dad and give him a child that he loves. Um, Anyway, after I did all of that, uh, I was like, bye. Uh, And then for some reason, Josh and Dan, Dan McClellan, hopped in to my defense to be like, she's right. And you're an idiot. And the reason I bring all of this up was because he was like, basically, I don't care if you have a PhD. I'm not really into that, like, critical reading. And I was like, Dan, Josh, you don't care about their... So you're right. They just, they're like, well, the Bible says in plain King James Version English. Uh, so I don't feel bad at all. And I reveled in Dan and Josh taking him to task. Anyway.
1: <laughs> that has to be so much fun. That had to be oh so much fun. Like
0: Because I put myself hey. in the line of fire. I never, ever ask anybody else to, like, jump in. But when they do, it is glorious. Because these men just get, like first of all, obliterated and embarrassed. They get their feelings hurt. And then they just get their, like, hopes and dreams dashed by smart academics that are like, you actually don't know jack shit.
1: I'm going to have to just, like, follow you around Twitter just to have some fun. That's what I'm going to have to start doing.
0: Anytime. Love it. Okay, sorry. I just wanted to tell you that story because you were saying, like, they have to be the, like, most ignorant Biblical people
1: well, of all it, time. It, and yes, they it, are. It, it is so frustrating. And, and don't get me wrong. I don't mind ignorance because I've been ignorant the majority of my life, but it, it's, it's when you're ignorant and loud and, and confident, like just loud, just, confident
0: and wrong, like the worst loud, confident and wrong. Just shutting the fuck up is free.
1: What I learned about like these Hebrew scriptures, what I learned from the Torah What I learned from the prophets changed the trajectory of my life when I actually started taking this shit seriously and encountering that there was writings about people that were savage in their criticisms of culture, also advocating for better agribusiness practices and better um, understanding of how officials should be elected and and all this stuff, And, and and what, I, what I've watched Christians do in this majority culture context is, is decide whatever their whitewashed, anti-Semitic, nationalistic world loves must unite with the gospel. And therefore, I'm going to read it from that lens. And I'm going to read Jewish texts. I'm going to read the Hebrew scriptures from this bad white nationalist lens of the Christian texts. To filter these Hebrew scriptures through, and it, it fucks me up so bad because they've missed the vast of majority it? of this book. They, yeah, they've they've missed like the whole damn thing that this book claims. This this library of libraries that we call the Bible is filled to the brim with some of the most amazing things I've ever read. But if the thing you're most familiar with is the Pledge of Allegiance instead of the Torah. You're not going to understand what the Bible's doing. You're you're, going to be lost the entire fucking time. And it's so exhausting.
0: So we've talked about why some of our criticisms of Paul Paul are bad or misinformed. How can we better Mm. criticize Paul? How can we criticize Paul in in a way that's productive or contextually accurate even?
1: Love that. Let's do it. All right. Ready, steady, go.
0: All right. So we have talked about ways we should not criticize Paul or perhaps misinformed ways that we do criticize Paul uh, based on maybe a faulty understanding of what was going on contextually and historically uh, and also reading the text with our very, very 2022 eyes. Mm. So how do we criticize Paul in a more productive way? How do we add to conversation? How do we criticize him in a way that is fair and historically accurate and could potentially lead to productive discourse Go for it. yeah
1: that's good um so i think one of the best ways to criticize paul is also to let him speak on what he wants to speak on for his time and not let him say anything else there are two things that i think we do about so i i think i need to put like gutter bumpers on this bowling alley of how we criticize Paul on one end I am and, and I'm being reductive, but I, I just need to do this for the second discourse. Sure. I, I think the classic atheist argument is that Paul is primitive, that he has, you know, like misogynistic things to say, he's pro slavery, whatever. And then I think the progressive evangelical argument is that either we should throw Paul out altogether, which I don't think is good for this discourse, but also, no, if we think about Paul in this way, then he can speak to everything that's going on. And I think both of those are fundamentally false. Paul was writing to try and, he had a message that he thought was worth saying. Let's let him say that thing, and then let's put him to rest. Let's stop making everything that he has to say about today's sermon analogy and let him be what he wanted to be. He wanted to be somebody that spoke against an exclusivity culture that prioritized kosher living. I shouldn't say kosher because that really wasn't a structure at the time. Um, I apologize. Um, he wasn't prioritizing the way the Israelites and the Jew and, and the Judeans were living as the way to be like Christ. He was prioritizing a space that was advocate, advocating for other cultures that was advocating for a different way of being for both Greeks and Jews. Um, Let's let him say that. And then let's not pretend he has anything else to say. He only gave us now granted he wrote definitely six letters. He definitely wrote six letters. Let's let him have six important things to say for his time that can maybe apply today. And then let's look at other sources and other places for everything else.
0: So something that I wanted to just sort of toss in here as a thought or idea was something that a friend brought up to me on, again, Twitter, because I sort of put a question out like, why does everyone care what Paul thinks? Um, And so, of course, you had a lot of people coming in and hating Paul and loving Paul and whatever. Now... I just wanted to touch on this quickly because I thought it was a really interesting perspective. I don't know how much basis there is in history, but whatever. So my friend Jeremy says Paul's encouragement to let women learn was new. His limiting their ability to teach was only because they had been denied access to education their entire lives and to throw them out in front of all of these people would only reinforce the idea that they were incapable. Um, and then he goes on to say, I don't think it was ever meant to be a permanent injunction against teaching by women. I think a lot of Calvinists actually missed this point on election entirely, namely that God doesn't play favorites. And I thought that was a really interesting thing that I had never quite thought of that way. So shout out Jeremy, what up? Um, but that I kind that. of blew my mind a little bit. Like I was like, I never yeah. considered that. <laughs>
1: what that that that's it um so for those of you at home playing the home game if if you want to do a deep dive i would recommend looking up biblical hermeneutics and when you look up biblical hermeneutics find your way to what is called trajectory hermeneutics it's a way of reading it's also called redemptive movement hermeneutics um it's a way of trying to see um to locate the voices in a text and then see them on what direction they were pointing in, and then figure out what it would look like to continue moving in that direction. Now, I think the edges on having Paul say more than he ever intended to say. But there are multiple times, if not the primary of the time that Paul is speaking, he is pointing in a direction that gives more freedoms, includes more people, and allows for greater rights and authentic living. That's the direction that Paul tends to point in. What we tend to do is we tend to, from where we stand, point backwards in time at Paul, and suggest we need to move back to the way he was advocating. From where we are, that Paul's not writing from our context, and so he's never right. he's never suggesting a regressive life. He's always suggesting a progressive one.
0: The he really criticized. Think that... Sorry.
1: Go for it. I, yeah, yeah. I just
0: really think it's interesting because, again, if you talk to Jewish people, they see the Torah and, and all of their writings as a living, evolving document to be wrestled with and to, to figure out how you can apply this to your life today. Most of them, the majority, I mean, maybe there's probably Orthodox Jews, I, I think, that would say, like, no, we need to go all the way back to 100%, like, following the law word for word. But most. Jewish folks that I've encountered have said that, like, it's actually their, their responsibility, their divine task, whatever you want to call it, to wrestle with the text and figure out what it means to make the world a better place here and now. And, and this, this text is evolving and it's meant to, to sort of teach you over time. Um, And I'm trying to remember, I was speaking, oh, when I was speaking to Mark the other day, he was saying that there's a, Sort of a tale where two two rabbis are disagreeing over a point in Torah, and a third rabbi comes to them and says, "Both of those are God's holy word," meaning that like it can mean these two different things, even if they're conflicting, because the most divine thing you can do is is wrestle and try to understand this text and apply it to your to your life in your in your quest to make this place better because that's very much what it is at least from my understanding judaism is very much trying to make the here and now heal this place as opposed to waiting for some ultimate sort of redemption there's it's a twofold thing
1: so what's fascinating about that right there what you just said is paul does that paul is first and foremost he's a jew he is a pharisee and and he does that kind what he does is he takes that language of wrestling and puts a neoplatonist lens on it and he gives new language we've never seen in other writings there's a phrase in the Bible that Paul uses well he does this a bit but there's a phrase in the Bible it's really beautiful that Paul uses that you don't find anywhere else and it is in Ephesians and it says that we are to open the eyes of our heart that oh my God I feel
0: like that's a worship song it is. It's. it, it, uh, it, it, it sorry.
1: is. I know, and that Memory changes it. But like, it's evocative imagery, and, and like, it translates perfectly in that direction to open the eyes of your heart. That's a wonderful thing. And, and um, and Romans, a letter definitely remind Paul. It says that we are called to the renewal of our minds, to 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 think about things in a renewed way right and he is talking to christians about this he's talking to the jewish and the gentile christian communities in that time so if there's one thing that's applicable about paul today if nothing else it is that we are called to rethink the way we understand the world around us and if if that's all we take away from him that's compelling
0: right absolutely okay like good so one, actually i think so what, what... yeah but if you want to hear more of that conversation with mark it is going to be mark L- lucher is a hebrew bible scholar that i interviewed over the weekend uh and we talked about the social context for the prophets and the composition of different books in the bible the dating of it and how to build bridges with people who read the text differently than me uh, and It will be up on my Patreon in the next probably like week, but then in a couple weeks from now, it will be up on YouTube as well. And it's a really fascinating conversation. I had a great time. Um, And so if you want to hear more details on that, you can check that out.
1: If you want to find me, I'm almost exclusively on TikTok because I am in a creative funk and I don't know what to say on the interwebs at the moment, but you can find me on TikTok. (laughs) I'll hop on Twitter. I'm going to follow... The queen of heathens around and just throat kick the overalls
0: um
1: but yeah you can find me on there and um you can also find me on this podcast and if you haven't checked out our other episodes you really need to check it out
0: yes you can find me in hell just kidding So, if you have tuned in for the last two weeks and you saw me and Jagazis talk about Cancel Paul, and then you tuned in and saw me and Andrew talk about Paul, awesome. Uh, You should tune in next week for the most serious debate of all time, where Andrew and Jagazis will go head-to-head. I don't know why my thumb wants to do that on one side. I make no promises, but I think it will be entertaining. Same time, same place. Bring your Paul opinions and then keep them to yourself. Just kidding. You can, <laughs> you can <comment> <laughs> No, uh, it, it, it should be,
1: it all. should be fun. Um, I'm going to start some casual TikTok beef with Jagazos. And, um, and if you watch this, then you now know, I'm just kidding.
0: Who's gonna win? What is the prize? I don't know.
1: I mean, it's going to be me, but that's fine.
0: But again, what is the prize?
1: The pride, bragging rights. I like that. Um, All right. Well, one um, the. hop oh, how about this? One of us has to buy the other person some random Amazon purchase that they request. Love that it. That is the tune of no more than ten dollars. What about me, though?
0: Just kidding. Uh, yeah. No, that sounds like a good prize. Okay. Uh, let's wrap it on up. Y'all know where to find me, Queen of the Heathens, on TikTok, Queen of Heathens, on Twitter. Instagram, YouTube now apparently. Make sure that you like and subscribe to this channel. You can channel. find
1: me at red underscore sage one, literally everywhere there is internet.
0: Um, like if you don't know where all... we are now, I just, what are you even if doing? you don't know me by now, you ain't never, ever, 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 ever gonna know me. All right, bye. That's be, that'd be a
1: great funeral song, actually.
0: <laughs> I mean, it's true. So true. It's technically and true. On that note, you... on that note, over and out. Bye. Bye. bye.